Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Hello and welcome to Brian Moore's Full Contact in association with The Telegraph and QBE Business Insurance. I'm Brian Moore, and coming up on the podcast, we'll be speaking with Tom Vandell and Gareth Stinson to go over the weekend's premiership action. And after announcing his retirement this week, Ireland's Mike Ross will be going through the Pro 12 with us. We've got Craig Murdoch to join us and talk all things Super League, and Brendan Atwell will be giving us the latest from Super Rugby from a South African perspective. I'm glad to say that Nigel Owens is back to go through the law book, including the one we managed to stump him with, I think, which was relating to uh, conversions and when they're allowed to be taken and not taken. Uh, so hopefully they'll have that. And the answers to any other questions which you might have, and you can get them to us via the hashtag full contact on social media. Remember, uh, go to the Telegraph website to subscribe to the podcast and then you'll never miss an episode. And please leave a review. Anyway, on with the show. Time to speak to Tom Vandell. Tom, good evening. Good evening. Hello. I'm not, I'm not bad mate. Now, um, someone told me that you're... I'd never known this before, because I'm not in the know, obviously, that your nickname is Diesel. Yes. <laughs> now, yeah. how did that come about? Um, it was <laughs> literally... It started at Bristol. Um, yeah. And it was something to do with Vin Diesel, and I looked, oh, like yeah. a, I looked a little <laughs> bit like him. <laughs> that was it, really. I think it was just a bold head. That was about it. Hey, well, I tell you what, mate, there are worse ones because I got the name Pitbull because I look like a Pitbull. So it can be, it can be a lot, 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 it can be a lot worse than, yeah. It can be a lot worse. Um, the weekend's action, uh, yeah. Saris were, they, I think they, they, they turned you over in the end, but it was, it was you did a very, very decent game of it the first half. Bristol, I think you deserved to probably be in the lead, didn't you? Yeah, so we went in, um, I think we were 9-3 nine, nine, up at half-time. The things with Saracens, they can be quite slow starters, and they, they think they still had a lot of ball in the, in the first half. And they, yep. I think they just, they, they wound up, they, they sort of grinded us down a little bit, um, and they're just their second-half performance was fantastic. Obviously, four tries, four unanswered tries. Um, and yeah, they did all the hard work, I think, in, in the first half, just by wearing us down, playing the right areas of the pitch, made the Bristol boys work very hard, and... And then second half, they, they were just class. Obviously, Chris Ashton getting in for a great try. Uh, a couple of driving malls as well. And they were just, they were just a top-class team. And they look, they look very, very good for going into the, um, the playoffs. Well, one, one of the things that um, has been a highlight for me in the games that I've watched recently with them is the innate rugby intelligence mm. of their decision-makers. Yeah. 
people like Richard Wigglesworth, who is not heralded as much as maybe he should be. When you watch him, he he, he just makes the right decisions at the right time, and and that that extends to to Farrell and other other yeah. players. And when you're on. Uh, the opposite side to that. You, what that means is you constantly find yourself going backwards, yeah. and 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 having to retrieve situations, and then the scoreboard ticks over against you, and it becomes very frustrating. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And um, this was their kicking game, and like you say, with Wigglesworth controlling that and, and sort of pushing the forwards around the pitch, and they've got a, a, some athletes. The athletes they've got in that four pack are unbelievable. I mean, we talk, lots of lots of spoken about Atoji and Vipola, but literally they. They can, can play any type of game. If they want to tighten it up, they can tighten it up. If they, when they want to open it up, they can open it up. And, and it always keeps teams guessing because you can't really defend consistently against that. Mm. And like, with Wigglesworth and, and Farrell, they just control the game so well. And you, like you said, you're constantly on the back foot, constantly chasing back to get the... Their, their kicking game is so accurate. So accurate. They get a lot of stick for being boring, but they can change it up any time they want. And I think that's why they're looking so good for, for getting the, the title again. You know, and then you... Um... Look at the uh, inevitable uh, bench or replacements or yeah. finishes, whatever you call them. Yeah. And on walk people like Scott Britz. Um, you know, who's not short of a yard or two. No. And, uh, and, and, other, and other people. And it must be, when you're on the opposition, it must be slightly deflating, mustn't it? To, oh, to, to see that quality yeah. come. Yeah, so you see these, these monsters go off and you're thinking, thank God they've taken them guys off. And then on come the next load of superstars. And it's like, oh my God, you've got to defend against these guys now. So... It is. They've got such strength in depth, um, and that's what these top, all these top four teams have got now. They've got such strength in depth. It's not a case of oh, we're bringing on our second string players. It's like let's bring on this, what we've already taken off, and, and sometimes improve on what we've already taken off. It's it is unbelievable. Um, we'll be talking to uh, Gareth Stinson later on, so I'll I'll just touch very briefly with you on uh, on Exeter. But seven bonus point wins in a row yeah. is. That's 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 fairly impressive by anyone's standards, isn't it? Is, it? Yeah, and Exeter, the whole story about Exeter and where they've obviously the championship championship side, they they came up into the Premiership and everyone expects them to get an absolute humping. But they've built every single year, they've improved and, and got better. And they you can see how much they enjoy playing with each other as a team. I think in terms of team spirit, they literally epitomise that. They play mm-hmm. for each other. They, you know, they're, they're not a whole team of superstars, but they've built steadily every single year and. Just their style of play again, like Saracens, they can adapt to the opposition. They can change on a, you know, they can change their style of play on the day. Um, you know, depending on the weather, depending on the team they're playing against, and they just stick to their game plan. And they are so good, and their attacking play is so good. They're they're such a well-rounded team, defence and attack, and it's um, they are fantastic to watch. Can I just ask you, down look down there, weather is a factor uh, occasionally because the wind does blow and it it. it, it it swirls around, and and for them to play at home, how you can't quantify this, obviously, but how big a difference would would you reckon it would be for them to secure a home playoff and then and then or have to play away? I think for them, I mean, being at home with their crowd and, and the noise they make, that's a, that's a massive factor as well. As well mm-hmm. as the weather, it is it is a very windy windy part of the country, and you know this time of year maybe not so much, but. Being at home for any of the top four teams is, is, going to be, is going to be massive. But for Exeter, they know their pitch so well. Mm-hmm. A lot of their games, especially their kicking game with Steenson, you know, it is di- di- dictated by the weather. And um, you know, if they can get a home semi, then that is massive for them going forward. And potentially, if they get into that final at mm-hmm. Twickenham, it's going to be huge. But Exeter at the moment, 
you know they are, they've got to be the form team as well as Saracens obviously playing some quality rugby but mm-hmm. Exeter are you know seven, like you said seven bonus point wins on the on the trot is um, you know it's, it's pretty good going you can't argue with that well Tom I mean you you've been uh, I, I, w- I was going to say you're you're You've been around the clubs. That's unfair, actually, because you've you've played you've played at more than one club, but you've you've had significant lengths of service yeah. at other ones. You know, and we're talking about the other two potentially being Wasps and Leicester. Mm. Um, I watched Wasps, and I just I just wondered, you know, the the, the carefree, laissez-faire nature of their game pre-Christmas mm. doesn't seem quite to. I'm not right. sure whether it's not just not working, or they're not trying it, or they've become a little inhibited. I uh, think I think it's the second one. I think they've become a bit inhibited. Actually, I all think right. I think they've got to go back to the style of play they were playing pre-Christmas because that was yes, the defence was a bit leaky. They did concede a lot of tries, but they were outscoring teams. And speaking mm-hmm. and who and really in the grand scheme, who cares if you're conceding lots of tries as long as you're scoring more than you're conceding? Mm-hmm. You know what, what's the issue? They've tried, I think they've tightened up a little bit and they look like they've, they've hit a bit of a, a rough patch at the moment in terms of they look like they've lost a bit of confidence. They're not playing the same amount of. Um, mm-hmm. You know the attacking style they they that was basically winning them games and if they try and tighten their game and change their game plan now they're not going to win the, they're not going to win the prem and no. that will be a massive disappointment and a massive loss for the club because the players they've got the superstars they've got they should be mm. in that final this year yeah Whether they I, win it or not but I don't I don't know if they're even going to win their in win their um, their semi well they, they might they might not be at home if they I mean if no. Saracens manage to turn them over then they'll have a they'll have a away draw which will be yeah. Which is looking probably be uh, well. It, well, it might it might be the Chiefs. Uh. Yeah, and their record against the Chiefs this season is not great. Yeah, so yeah. They, they they have to find that confidence in the next couple of weeks before the um, before the playoff semi final. Um, or unfortunately, I just don't see Wasps do. And for me, I want Wasps to do well. I want you know where they were a few years ago, where mm-hmm. they are now is fantastic. But. The players they've got, I think, will be a massive underachievement if they don't at least get into the final this season. Yeah, and, and not not least because of the, the brand they were playing. And, yeah. I, and I do say, you, when you've got instinctive runners like Curtly Beale and Christian Wade, it's not yeah. to, it's not to say that they can't play within a disciplined, structured game plan. It's just that you don't get the best out of them if no. they do. No, I mean, obviously, they have to have some kind of structure. But at yeah. the end of the day. They play a wide, wide game. You know, it's not just Christian Wayne and Curly Bill. There's Elliot Daly, even Joe Launchbury, Nathan Hughes. They've got yep. superstars throughout the whole team, dy- dynamic players who can play off-the-cuff rugby. When they start going away from that, that's when they struggle because mm-hmm. they, they, need, they need to play that wide, expansive, exciting rugby, brand of rugby. And, you know, it, it doesn't matter if they, can't, if, they don't, if they do concede four tries as long as they're scoring five or six, and that's what they were doing before Christmas. Mm-hmm. And Leicester, I mean, big win, 41 18 again, Sale. Whatever you say about Leicester, <laughs> they're there or thereabouts again. Yeah. Um, they will scrap uh, with anyone. Yeah. Uh, and, um, you know, they will make sure that they, whoever beat, if, if someone does beat them, that they have earned the, uh, they've earned the win. But do yeah. you think in the end they've got the all-round game to, to topple either Saracens or, or Exeter? I don't think they've got the all-round game when it comes to, like, the, the big, you know, big playoff games and the, mm-hmm. and the final but with Leicester, you, you, you go back four or five months, everyone's thinking, oh, you know, Leicester's, they're down and out. But every single year, they manage to score, sneak <laughs> into that playoff. Uh, and then it comes down to two, you know, two games, two, mm. two, two one-off games, basically, and, 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 they're, and they're in that final. You know, fair play to them to get to where they are at the moment. Obviously, Aaron Major going and, and O'Connor coming back, that's been massive for them. I spoke to a few of the Leicester boys. Oh, yeah. and, and O'Connor, he just knows the Leicester way. And yeah. everyone talks about his Leicester brand, and he knows that he was a part of that. He was part of a lot of success at Leicester with Richard Cockrell. And he's brought that back, and they, and they definitely got the, um, 
the bit between their teeth now. And obviously, young Ellis Genge, he's just been named Young Player of the Year. He he basically epitomises what Leicester is. You know, he's a hard, hard player, aggressive, exciting, and 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 just wants to go out and, and, and scrap it. And that's what Leicester have done. They've scrapped their way back into the top four. And you know what? You can't write them off because they've been there. They've done it. They know yep. how to win games. And who knows? But, you know, fair play to them in the top four and looking good for the for, for a semi-final. Uh, down the, the other end of the table, you know, Bristol yeah. going to have to work their way uh, back. But um, you're, I think you're committed to the end of next season anyway. Mm. Um, the news that they're going to scrap the playoff system at the end of 2018. Yeah. Uh, what, what's your view on that? I'm over the moon. About it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's obviously being part of it. Only obviously only done one season of the championship, and being part of that playoff system is very frustrating because yeah. we were 20 points clear come the end of the year, and then obviously to to have the um, to playoff to, to obviously prep for and get you and get ready for was was pretty tough going, and then we actually ended up losing the. Um, Losing to Doncaster on the final day of the season, yeah. even though we'd won on aggregate. It's a bizarre system because you can play all year. By Christmas, you can be 20, 30 points clear and, and still know that it's not over. Yeah. So next year, obviously, the recruitment's already started. If we can perform the way we should do, the squad we're going to have, we could have it tied up by January, hopefully, mm-hmm. and then we can you know, just start prepping and, and getting ready for the following premiership season. Yeah, because I don't think people necessarily understand the sort of frantic nature um, that the current system uh, engenders because it's an all or nothing every season um, yeah. till, right till the last game um, uh, which you are sort of trying to say to players uh, if we get up we'll give you this contract if we don't you don't have a contract yeah. or you'd have this contract and you know this is players with, with mortgages some with yeah. kids and so on and they're, they're quite rightly saying well what on earth am I supposed to do? And I mean, another problem. When we, I remember when um, obviously I signed for Bristol, and then we, they didn't get promoted. Um, then trying to recruit for the following year based yeah. on a playoff system is, is impossible. So you couldn't do a lot of recruiting until the the off season when they, ever, all players knew where Bristol were going to be. And then by then, players had already been signed up to other clubs. So yep. we basically we went into a season with yes, with with a, a, a good squad, but we couldn't have really recruited maybe the players the club wanted to because. Players have already been signed and it's all done and dusted. So, yep. yeah, it's a difficult one for recruitment and obviously then contracts. And it's an absolute nightmare, especially for a team. It's hard enough coming up to the Premiership anyway. And as you can see from London Welsh the year before and obviously us this year, we've gone up and come straight back down again. So we need that, that ability to be able to recruit and prepare for a Premiership season because it is hard. It's a hard jump from champ to Premiership. Yeah. Um, well, with, with, with Bristol... There's no lack of investment. We, yeah. we, we, we're well aware of that. Um, I've been slightly surprised, given the quality yeah. of the coaches that have been there and some of the players, mm-hmm. that they haven't caught, you know, that, that, that basically they, they haven't fought and stayed longer, you know, in touch. Yeah. What's going to make the difference uh, when the, the, you know, the next, because they will come back up. Yeah. What's going to make the biggest difference to that, if, if you could have a magic wand? The, the system in place. Obviously, new coaches come in. Uh, Pat Lamb's going to be massive. He's bringing a whole new, whole new team. I just think, unfortunately for us uh, at Bristol, we went in a little bit unprepared, a bit naive into what was for, what was needed in the Premiership. Mm-hmm. The Premiership has changed so much in the seven years since Bristol were in their last. Um, in terms of the squad sizes, the 
the general speed of the game was incredible. Mm-hmm. Even from being a year out of the league, uh, for me, I found the spe- I found the first three or four months like, oh my god, you know, this is this is real quick. This mm-hmm. is uh, this is a massive step up from Championship. And I think as a squad, we did underestimate the the the, the huge gap that there was there because a lot of boys in the squad had been in the Champion for seven years had never played Premiership rugby. Right. Um, so we'd, we'd gone in, a very inexperienced team. Yes, we had experience dotted around the squad, but as a whole, it's a squad effort. For every single team in the Premiership, it's a squad effort. Mm-hmm. You get a few injuries to your front line and, and you're struggling a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I think we did underestimate it. Next time, or in a year's time hopefully, we'll be prepared. We'd have had a year of recruitment. A lot of us have done it before now, been there before, know what's expected. Um, yeah. We're not prepping for a playoff anymore. We're prepping for a week in, week out grind, and yeah. we, we, we haven't been used to that for a year or seven years for some of the boys. It was all about building for a playoff at the end of May. Whereas mm. now it's about right. We've got a, we've got to strap a pair on every single week now because mm. we're going to. It's going to be a dust up every week. So um, that's that's basically it. It's pretty simple. Yeah, we've just got to prep ourselves for a week on week out battle. Um, and it's all about survival. I think we set our sights a little bit too high rather than just focus on like let's just survive. And when you're talking about uh, the differences, you're talking about pace and so on. Mm. From what I see, you know, there are big players, you know, and physical players in the championship. Mm. There are very quick players in the championship. But in aggregate, when everyone is just a bit bigger, just a bit more powerful, just a bit more exact, just a little bit more precise, just a little bit instinctively quicker, when you aggregate those together, that's the world of difference. Yeah, yeah. And and that's exactly right. It's not just one or two or three players in a squad, it is 15 players who are all slightly quicker and all yeah. slightly bigger than what we've been used to playing in the championship. And then a bench as well, very yeah. important. Yeah. And then you've got Saracens who bring up a, a, whole, a whole team of internationals off their bench. It, yeah. is, it does, it changes things. So, you know, we've we did we've managed to, we, I think we've got three wins this, this, this year and we were close in a, in a few other fixtures as well. But, mm-hmm. The whole grand scheme of things, if you're competing like that every single week, sometimes we need a, a, a bit longer to recover, I suppose, because our squad's just, you know, just off it by mm-hmm. a couple of percent. And in the Prem, if you're a couple of percent off, you're going to get an absolute hammering. The, the speed from attacking def- to defence is, or, or, atta- or defence into attack is so quick. I remember we played Wasps, and we were on their line for 20 minutes, battering away. We made one mistake, and they ran the whole length and scored a try, and they did that four times. Yes. And then before you know, you're 28 points down, and yeah. there's only 40 it's only 30 minutes gone. You're like, what the hell's happened here? Yep. It just hap- everything happens so quick. In the championship, you could knock the ball off 20 times and still win the game. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just it's that different. It wasn't like we were a million miles away from being, you know, from surviving. It was one or two percent. Mm-hmm. And but in the prem, you've got to be on it every single minute of the game because it changes so quickly. In in the end, when you've got uh, London Irish there, yeah, um, uh, you, you can see a foresee a situation if. There isn't a further alteration with you, them. Um, I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. Well, potentially any of the sides that actually have stayed up, uh, bar the very top ones. You know, being involved in a relegation uh, fight and then going, you know, up and down. Yeah. At what point do you think that it makes sense to to not ring friends forever? The, no, the no, Premiership, no, I but temporary ring fence because yeah. you've got to look at the current playoff in the Championship now. So you've got Doncaster, Jersey, and obviously Yorkshire, Carnegie, and yeah. Irish. Only two of them teams can go up. Yeah. So it makes it, I believe, a pointless, a pointless thing. What's the point of having this promotional playoff system when only two of the teams, and sometimes only one of the teams, can actually go up? Yep. It makes no sense. I'll, I'll, obviously, I'm in a situation where we're about to get relegated, so I'm like, oh, there, this ring fence the league, let's keep Bristol up. Of course I'm going to say that, but... Realistically, 
you, Bristol are going to go down to the Championship next year, and I don't mean any disrespect to any of the other teams in that league, but with the finances we've got and the squad I know that we're going to be recruiting, Bristol should walk the Championship. And that's not me being rude, because there is quality. And there, mm-hmm. There's going to be some games that are going to be difficult, but we should win the Championship next year and come straight back up. So... I don't understand. Why don't we just bring Yorkshire up, bring Bristol up, bring Irish up, and then just ring fence for a couple of years, let teams grow in yeah. the Premiership, make it a, co- a competitive, exciting league, and then if, it, if a team in the Championship then says, right, we're ready to, we're ready to make that step up, then we open it up. Mm-hmm. It should, there should be a time, because it, a team needs time to readjust. London Irish will need a time to readjust to Premiership life again. It takes time. So I wouldn't be surprised if it's Irish that are going to be relegated again next year because they're just not used to it. Mm-hmm. However much they won the championship by this year, you need time to readjust to it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Tom. Um, well, we will see. Uh, and no doubt uh, we will have you uh, back on if you were willing to come in. Yeah. Uh, good to speak to you again, mate. You um, do, yeah. Well, let's work on a different nickname for you, I think. One that's less, less, one that's more derogatory. All right, mate, thanks for that. Cheers, tonight. In association with QBE Business Insurance, principal partner of the British and Irish Lions. Time now to speak to uh, the top point scorer of last year for the Exeter Chiefs. It's the fly half, Gareth Steenson. Good evening, Gareth. Good evening, Brian. How you doing? Not mad, mate. Now, from afar, at a disinterested party, I can only marvel at what's been going on down at Sandy Park. Not just this season, but, you know, several seasons previous. And yet, this season, seven bonus point wins in a row. You are arguably the favourites to take the title. Oh, uh, yeah, we've had a good run. Um Obviously, the last few weeks and stuff, we've, we've probably some of our performances maybe exact, haven't exactly been what we've wanted them to be. But like you say, we have come away with some good uh, bonus point wins in there, and it's it's a nice position to be in when we feel that we're maybe haven't maybe played to the best of our ability, yet we're still picking up those sort of kinds of results. So um, at the minute, we're in a good place um, with you know a very good result yesterday, and uh, yeah, we're uh, we're going in the right direction. Yeah. You've got the potential now. One more win, and you'll get a home uh, a home tie. Now, w- there's no point in beating about the bush. Um, the weather conditions down at Sandy Park can be, you know, slightly erratic, and you have got uh, as much experience as anyone in mastering those. Um, w- how big a difference uh, away and at home will it make in that respect? I think, uh, yeah, well, obviously, we, we really want to have a home semi purely because the support we get, yes. um, you know, the atmosphere that's created down uh, in front of our home supporters is is fantastic. Um, we have got a good record on the road, um, so it's not something we're we're awful, awfully afraid of doing. If we have to, you know, we, we, we're confident we can go away and get mm-hmm. a result. Um, but really, uh, we, we want to be playing in front of our home supporters and, we do like playing at Sandy Park, and we've had some good records there. And obviously, with semi-finals, it tends to prove that the home team yep. tends to do very well as well. So we have all those sort of things in the back of our head. But um, like I say, you know, we know we've got one big game uh, next week against Gloucester, and we we can really look to uh, nail down that home semi. On the one hand, you you can say when you look at the uh, squad on paper that it lacks, um, you know, household names. Jack Noel probably being a a notable exception, and yet 
when you watch players like Ollie Woodburn, Ollie Devoto, who are, you know, tearing uh, into defences and making huge contributions, um, do you think that at some point you will need to to either import um, recognised players or can you actually do the whole lot with what on paper doesn't seem to be, you know, as fancied a team as some of the more famous counterparts? Yeah, I think, well, to be honest, we've never really um, got a lot of big household names in. We've, we've always sprinkled the odd wee bits here and there, like Dean Mum coming in, these sorts of guys. But we've never really went and, you know, um, imported guys in. We've tended to get young fellas, mould them, mm-hmm. um, and sort of make them grow, but they grow within the system that we like to play. And when we get guys in, the likes, likes of Ollie Woodburn, Ollie Devoto there, for example, have been at clubs, big clubs, um, you know, just wasn't happening for them in those in those uh, environments, and they've come in and they've flourished in what we what we offer and the way they play as well. They they fit right into our game plan and it works really well. And we've got a real good bunch of young fellas coming, you know, around the similar sort of age, around those uh, around Ollie Devoto's age. You know, you've got Henry Slade, you've got mm-hmm. Jack Noel, Campanaro. These guys are all very similar age, and they're all starting to really play well together. And um, I think the uh, differentiation between named and household and not is, is probably even more stark in the forwards where, you know, on paper, you would look and, and think, actually, I'm not too sure how this this eight is going to cope, you know, with a, a Saracens pack who've got you know, five lines. And yet, when they get on the pitch, they are incredibly accurate and incredibly, incredibly tight you know, in the way they approach that. How much of that is is a, is down to the coaching setup? Oh, it's huge. I think the, the culture and all that's been created here at the club, you know, we, we tend to get guys in who buy buy into it straight away. And we do have the, we do go out with the attitude that, you know, we're all in it together. And yes, you'll achieve things as a group. You know, when guys get selected for tours, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's felt right amongst the group of lads. You know, when Jack Noel got, Obviously, whenever he was selected for the Lions, everybody felt part of that. Everybody felt that that it was an achievement. I was watching that. Goal. That was on YouTube, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, I saw yeah. that, yeah. That was a very <laughs> exciting time. So the first ever Lion that was ever from the Exeter Chiefs and we were all in the room, I actually felt like I'd been selected. That's how good it was. You know? <laughs> so it was a great experience for us. And that's off the back of us going really well as a group. And we all know and understand that guys are getting selected to go away on the England tours as well, like Harry Williams, Jack Maunder have now got their first call-ups. And it's off the back of good performances from Exeter as a club, uh, and these guys are getting picked on tours. Now, when I've been looking at the uh, well, the last weeks, few weeks' performances, and the table and so on, Saracens um, a lot on their plate, but they've got a big squad and they've got experience. Last season's final, and and this is making a huge assumption that you're both going to get there, which is by no means certain. But let's. Just uh, suspend belief uh, for the purposes mm-hmm. of this. Um, although on paper the result looked uh, okay last time, Saracens for me, you know, were were quite a bit more savvy and a bit better. If you were to meet them this time, how much better do you think you are prepared this time round? I think you know. I think we were in a much different place than we were last year. Just purely at the stage we're at in the season, you know. We were getting ourselves into the whole uh, the semi-finals last year, and it was a huge achievement for the club to do it for the first time. 
the talk is very, very different this year. Mm -hmm. um, it's very much very focused on we know what we have to do now to achieve what we want to achieve, which is ultimately win win the league. Um, you know, so the first step that we've got to take now is next weekend. We've got to go. We've got to go to Gloucester. We've got to nail down that home semi-final, which gives us the best opportunity again to go forward. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of lessons were learned on the day yeah. up in Twickenham, without doubt. Um, I think the first 30 minutes, you know, as much as we talked about um, not going up and looking around us for maybe 20 minutes, having a look around, actually taking the atmosphere in, I think now if, if we get the opportunity to play in that final again, you know, we won't have the first time yeah. nerves. We won't have that sort of, here we are, we're in the final, taking it all in. Um, you know, we won't, wa in other words, we won't waste the first 20 minutes, 30 minutes of the game, which ultimately cost us in the long run. I know we made a really good fight back and got within three points with five, six minutes to go, but you know, ultimately it was always a big challenge to try and get back into that game. Well, I mean, it's very difficult as a as a player. You you can be told uh, time and time again. You can watch as many videos as you like. You can see all the analysis and all the stats now, but sometimes you just have to face it to understand what it's like, and that doesn't always go well. And I often think the aside who. Uh, when you look how they react to defeat, you can tell more about them, more of the squad, more of the mentality, more of the uh, what they've got about them. Um, and it's been impressive to me that the Exeter, you know, came away from that loss and yet uh, didn't change the systems, didn't change the styles, and have been, you know, been be making progress as we speak, week on week. Um, if 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 you do get anywhere where you know close to the, to the final, how much how much will you owe to to your supporters? I know you've mentioned them once, but uh, to me they seem quite special. No, they are. They're, they're they're a fantastic group. You know, like the game yesterday, for instance, it it was sold out two three weeks in advance, um, and they're right behind us. You know, the crowd that even went up to watch us at Twickenham last year was out of this world. I think we must have had about seventy percent of the mm -hmm. supporters on the day. Um, it's, which is incredible. Um, on our away trips as well, the noise they make. We've got people who travel up, you know, traveling up to Newcastle on a Friday night, um, and we're making they're making as much noise as the Newcastle supporters. So we are very fortunate with the supporters we have, and they're on the journey of it with us as well. You know, they a lot of people have been and been with the club since we were in the championship, and they've seen that progression and. They're getting to enjoy these sort of experiences along with the players. With you know the trips away to Europe, the big games, the trips away up to the big clubs like Leicester and Northampton. These teams. So these are all for the people down here in a rugby hotbed. Is what they have wanted for years, and now when it's here, they're making the most of it like the rest of us, like the players. Well, Gareth, uh, we have to leave it there now. But uh, thanks very much. Uh, I was really looking forward to seeing how uh, you boys go. And best of luck. Thank you very much, Brian. All the best. Take care. Cheers, mate. Exeter Chiefs. Let me tell you, um, Austin Healy, who I don't necessarily agree with all the time, and nor does anyone else who's got any sense, really. But um, the fact is, he was making a case out for them achieving, uh, the Chiefs having achieved more than Saracens. Now, that's an arguable proposition. But uh, in many respects, you have to say that there's a lot of merit in it because he was stressing the point that they were... Uh, debt-free, making money. They'd built their own ground, so on. Uh, they hadn't uh, gone down the import route. And if you do actually want a generic uh, lesson in how to to build a club and a grassroots club, Exeter, you can probably get no better 
than that. So that's hugely impressive. Uh, I think I think we we've now got time to talk to uh, uh, an old mucker of mine. Um, we are contemporaries. He's now the CEO of the uh, Rugby Players Association, former England uh, centre, former Wasp centre, Damien Hopley. Damien, good evening. Good evening, Mauro. How are you? Um, I'm all right, mate. Um, You're on the all, mend, I hope. All things considered. Yeah, but look, bit. it's like this, basically. All I have to do is not die before I have a bypass operation, <laughs> and things will be fine. So, you know, that's it's a fairly <laughs> you st- you straightforward. Medicine with that approach. <laughs> it's fairly straightforward. <laughs> <laughs> uh, very, very uh, quickly, Damien. Um, are you, do you, have you a bit, a con- bit, bit of concern about Wasps' um, present form going into the real sharp end of the season? It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, you know, you come into the business end of the season and, and as a former player, clearly I try and be, be as uh, neutral as possible. But mm-hmm. what were my club and yeah. will always be my club. Um, but yeah, I was down at the Stoop on Friday night uh, as part of the, the Restart Rugby Lift the Weight campaign. And uh, I mean, I thought Nick Evans was outstanding, oh, as yeah. indeed were Harlequins. But what a... What a what a, a finale for Nick Evans in front of yeah. home crowd. But yeah, yeah I, you know, I, of course it's a concern because there's a lot of clubs now who come into this final section of the season and they know how to win games and they're very, very good at it. And, and so what's have got to sort of uh, certainly uh, regroup and it's, it's a huge final weekend for them to try and get that to home semi-final. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got a few questions we always do have from... Uh, from listeners, one from uh, Dan Wright. What, what do you think? He said, "What do you think of the proposed changes to the structure of the season? It can't be good for player welfare, can it?" Um, it well, it's, the, the, the changes are supposed to 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 be at least neutral in that respect. What what do you think? Yeah, I mean, there are some proposals uh, being mooted at the moment by Premiership Rugby about extending the season, and we've actually canvassed a number of our leading senior players. We have a players board meeting mm-hmm. to give a bit of background about the structure of how we operate. We have um, player reps in each of the clubs who do a fantastic job representing the players, all of whom may, may have different issues across the season. But we have a players board meeting on the 10th of May and uh, we're going to get a full presentation because I think we're very lacking on information at the moment. We're getting mm-hmm. a full presentation from the Premiership as how they see this going forward, particularly around individual player management uh, around uh, rest and recuperation. But we've always been of the view that, uh, you know, a solid and uh, appropriate off-season is the right way forward. Um, so there are a lot of alarm bells ringing. I think when you have the likes of George Ford and Tom Young speaking up openly about the concerns, um, you know, we, 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 I guess we need to sort of sit down and really try and understand how it's going to work. Mm-hmm. But um, at the moment, uh, it, it's, a, it's a bit of a red flag for everyone, I think, in the Premiership as to, what this is going to look like. But, you know, as ever, we've worked closely with Premiership Rugby and the RFU over the years. We we take a pretty mature approach as to how we combat issues. So mm-hmm. uh, we're just going to wait and see what they come back with and then uh, try and understand what the impact will be on all the players, not just the elite players, yeah. but also the, the 650 other players who, who are members of the Rugby Players Association and, and who play week in, week out, and, and do such a brilliant job in making this one of the best leagues in the world. Well, we'll go on uh, very shortly to, to discuss the, uh, the Lift the Weight campaign, very important as it is. But, um, you know, at one point, especially in the early incarnation, when, you know, the RPO, the PRA, struggled for financial support and um, was trying to rely on a little bit of handouts from the RFU bit, bit here and that bit there. And of course, players never want to pay anything. They don't want to pay themselves either. Um, do you think now you've got the necessary um, 
wherewithal to be completely free of influence from from outside bodies and just represent your members' interests? Yeah, it's a really good point, Brian. And actually, it certainly is something that's been talked about a lot in, in the press. And, and we've had some really robust exchanges uh, even with our own members about that. I mean, mm-hmm. fundamentally, we are here to represent our members. And, and we would never be compromised because of um, maybe funds that come into rep- – really, we, we have the RFU and the clubs who put money into our development and insurance and welfare programs, which really are part of their duty of care in the league. But we would never – really sell the players out or be able to look them in the eye if we weren't there representing their interests first and foremost. And from our perspective, you know, one of the things we often say, which has caused a few gin and tonics to be spluttered around committee rooms in the world, is it's the players who generate a lot of the money for the professional game anyway. So maybe we just need to rethink that. But from our perspective, you know, we we try and take a collaborative approach. And I think the game has come on in leaps and bounds over the years from the sort of dark days. And you're very much part of that of... You know, when we saw all sorts of things, people saying they should be just privileged to playing for England when there was millions of month, millions of pounds being made even back in the 91 World Cup. So from our perspective, I think, look, we've got to be mature about this. We've got to take an approach. But fundamentally, we remain independent. You know, if the RFU and the clubs withdraw their funding, then we'll definitely go back to our members. As you say, it can be a thankless task at times trying to get them to put their hand in their pocket. But I think... The value now that they get from the Players Association and what we're doing on their behalf across the piece is is really fantastic based on the amount of money they're paying. But actually, we believe that the players are the game. They're the guys and girls who are generating all of the interest and and are making it such a fantastic um, spectacle to watch at the moment. So uh, we, we, we remain confident that there's enough goodwill and indeed foresight around all stakeholders in the game that we need to find the right way forward and and actually instead of talking about it putting player welfare first because that's the important pit in all of this uh, i mean it's getting better at world rugby level when you have the likes of austin augustin Pichot, you know going into positions of responsibility and indeed several other uh players of note and intelligence like john webb you know, on an England basis, do you, can you foresee or, or do you want to have an automatic representation on uh, World Rugby's various decision-making um, bodies? Well, for my, for my sins, I chair the International Rugby Players Association. And mm-hmm. obviously, I, I, I founded and set up the Players Association in England 18 years ago. Yeah. Um, and we now have player bodies in South Africa, New Zealand, Australia, Ireland, Wales, England, France, the Pacific Islands, America... So this movement is growing amongst the players and the influence is growing amongst the players. So we feel very confident that people like Gus as vice chairman, uh, Bill as chairman, his own son being obviously a member of the Players Association in England, uh, Josh and doing a great job at Sale, Brett Gottsberg. We've got some great people now involved at world rugby level who totally get the player piece. And so from that perspective, we feel a lot more confident that the players are being listened to and acted upon. So through the International Rugby Players Association, where we represent the whole group of player associations globally. We're just about to appoint our first full-time CEO. Mm-hmm. Uh, news will come out very soon about that. We, we feel very confident that we're in a much stronger place. Um, and, and I think people talk about player unions and think it's a very militant and, and very um, combative environment. From our perspective, it's not. We need to work with people in the game um, and try and find the right solutions for the players. So we, we're very confident around the fact that you know, we 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 represent the, the the right people in the sport. We believe the players should have a bigger say in how the game is run. We're making good progress in England. We want to make that a global perspective as well. Mm-hmm. 
Well, they also forget, people who take that view, that if they genuinely want to listen to everybody, it's very difficult without a players' union to actually canvas the views oh, of the players, you know, <laughs> on an individual, other than on an ad hoc, well, I spoke to so-and-so once, you know, basis. So that, that's a, a purely practical thing. Let's, let's move on to the, uh, to the Lift the Weight campaign as part of, you know, a wider thing. You, can you just explain that to people? Yes, certainly. So we have our own official charity called Restart Rugby, which we set up years ago as the RPA Benevolent Fund. We, we thought that Benevolent Fund sounded like a group of old people, probably not dissimilar to you and myself, Moro, yeah. having accidents in the corner of a room <laughs> after one too many. So we decided we were going to move, move it on to Restart Rugby. And Restart Rugby is all about helping players who suffered injury, illness or hardship. And as the game gets more professional, we've seen both players and coaches who suffer fallout from contractual disputes, you know, basically contracts being cut and, and players struggling to come to terms with what I would call the life after rugby. So yeah. through Lift the Weight, which was the campaign we launched about eight weeks ago, and I have to say the players who we worked with have been absolutely incredible. John Kitter, but Lester, Nolly Waterman representing the women, James Haskell, Johnny Wilkinson. A lot of players really struggle with the huge pressure that's put on them. And I know sometimes we... You know, even watching the Joshua fight last night, you see this incredible spectacle that goes on. But actually behind the scenes, there's a lot of pressures and you know, mental uncertainties and mental health affects one in four people in the UK. And so really through the Lift the Weight campaign, we've tried players to talk about their own personal issues, raise awareness about it, and then also um, try and look at how rugby as a sport can actually tackle some of these issues going forward and uh, I think that the response has been fantastic from the players from the fans and you know we're trying to do something here for, for social change and even watching the Heads Together campaign that was uh, very prevalent on the marathon through the Royals last week you know we really feel this is a huge issue for not only rugby but society as a whole and if we can use this very alpha environment yep. to actually talk about mental health issues and they say that the two years after you retire from professional sport, and you and I both played in an amateur era when we had other challenges around our own work and, and, and retiring from the game, but I certainly know from my own experience, I spent two years really in the wilderness slightly. Well, so, so did I. And I mean, it's, it's one of the reasons why um, I'm now on uh, the third uh, part of a uh, diploma level going towards a foundation degree in counselling and psychotherapy because I want to... Uh, set up a practice that deals with sporting retirement specifically, not just rugby, but you know, all all around. I know that uh, your brother Phil, the psychiatric side, fully qualified to do that because I think it's an area that's so underrepresented and very much needed. And if it can involve people who've actually played sport as well, you know, yeah. even more, uh, even better. Um, because I think that we are now starting to talk about it, but there's a lack of expertise to actually deal with it, and we need that that there. And and uh, one of the things I still think uh, think is really unhelpful is that it's not the medical profession's fault, but the, there isn't a vocabulary that deals with uh, mental illness, which is still very much an illness, but which is sort of which is short of criminal psych, you know, psychopathy and. Uh, and people, when you mention mental illness, it can range from, you know, a, a very defined but but depression, but of a relatively mild variety, right up and you know, right up to the extremes where we see people in prison. It's just not helpful. But by the way, you can't sort of grade the language, and that's yeah. one of the difficulties I think people have about admitting to having problems. They they think that people will think. That, that, that they have, you know, extreme psychiatric issues. 
And I think one of the one of the key messages that came out from the campaign was just a the ability to talk about it and share these things with teammates was yep. was fundamental. And um, but also the fact that a lot of people suffer in silence. So a it's okay to talk about it. And also as a, as a professional sportsman, when you've been put under all these increasing pressures and mm. God knows in four years' time it's going to be even even worse for the for the pressures that the players are on. Forget the structured season and all that sort of thing, but actually just the the huge pressure and and you know as the finances in the game grow and yeah. all of the things that happen about you know retiring from the game. So from our perspective, I guess we've tried to take a lead in this area. We've been overwhelmed by the response. I mean, this weekend mm-hmm. we've all, we, we've got the restart rugby weekend, lift the weight weekend. We've had huge donations coming in, and please keep them coming because it makes a huge difference mm-hmm. and. I think sometimes it's hard when you play in a professional sport to be uh, looking at trying to raise money. But when we see not just the mental health issues, but some of the human issues, mm-hmm. and obviously everyone's aware of Matt Hampson. You know, we've got a situation at the moment with Paul Van Zambly, former uh, Newcastle player who's suffering, he's got a terminal inoperable brain tumour. So we, we've got a lot of issues around how we help people. And, and I've got to say, and I think you and I both experience this more, rugby couldn't be a better sport in terms of how we look after our own. Yeah. We've been so blessed and so lucky to have fantastic support from the sport and we want to ensure that we keep that going because you know these guys and girls are doing an amazing job and we just need to give them all the support we can mm-hmm. absolutely agree with that Debian. uh please uh will you come on um well let's do it next to start our next season uh because we've got uh, well we're gonna have a lot to talk about on an ongoing basis but it, it's always good to to hear the positive things that the rpa is doing um, as well as the militant things that you people get up to. So, Damien, thank you very much, mate. Thanks, Warren. Book me in for one of your sessions when you do qualify. <laughs> at, at some sort of discounted rate, I'd, I'd be uh, all over it. Uh, mate, for you, free for, uh, free for you, completely free. <laughs> <laughs> I'll bring a good bottle of red. Listen, get well soon, my friend. <laughs> Cheers. We'll catch up first, too. Cheers, buddy. Thank you. <laughs> well, I've just been talking to Damien Hopley about uh, retirement and the problems that might come um, because of that, someone who, let's hope, doesn't have them, but who has indeed announced uh, his retirement earlier this week is Mike Ross, the uh, Leinster and Ireland prop, who we can speak to now about his retirement and about the uh, Pro 12 in general. Good evening, Mike. Good evening, Brian. How are you? Uh, I'm OK now. Um, did you know it was time? Uh, did it just arrive or was it a difficult decision or, or what? Uh, a bit of a mix, really. Um the minister informed me back in March that they weren't going to be renewing my contract. So at that point, I'd look around what was out there. Um, rugby-wise, there wasn't too much going, really. And then a really good opportunity came up in the civilian world, so to speak, and I took it. Mm-hmm. And you're going to be doing? I'm going to be working as commercial director for a software company that specialises in data protection. So a bit of a change. Uh, you were certainly from me, because I'm a complete uh, numpty when it comes to do things like that. Uh, so the best, the best of luck with that. And there's still a little bit, quite a lot actually, of rugby to go uh, yet. Can I just uh, ask you? You you were at Quinns for, uh, for I think it was three. So were you you overlapped with Nick Evans, didn't you? I did. Yeah, great guy, Nev. Um, see, he's hanging up the boots this year too. A lot of guys actually. I noticed Marcus Yerta too is. Uh, yes. Hanging up the boots a lot of times. Be happy to see that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, quite so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Nick, uh, Nick, Nick had a, a man of the match um, performance uh, on his way out. Uh, how good was he? Uh, he was very good. You know, um, <clears throat> I think if it wasn't for the New Zealand selection policy, he earned a lot more caps because mm-hmm. you know there's there's plenty of players who earned caps that I w- would put behind them. 
So, but uh, Quinn's been very lucky to have him over the what's it, seven or eight years now yeah. that he's been, he's been at the club, and he's a genuinely nice guy to boot. Okay, well, let's turn to the uh, Pro 12. It's the Dinamo's fairly simple. I think it's going to be yourselves and Munster. Um, and you're probably, well, let's see. We've got, what, have you got one? Is it one more game? Yeah, we're playing Ulster next week. Away. That's right. And um, is it then uh, first and fourth and second and third? Yes, that's how it works. So yep. uh, we should have, we have a home semi final just to remain to be seen against whom. Yeah. Uh, well, Munster are in the two. We've got the two Welsh sides, and that, that, that's how it's going to shake down. Uh, yeah, looks like I think Ulster small chance. Um, just about. You use a very outside uh, chance, but yeah. Um, yeah. Look, uh, Leinster, uh, Stuart Lancaster. Uh, I, I think I could say that he's a, a not a close friend, but a friend friend of mine. Um, he uh, spoke to us uh, earlier on in the season, and he uh, uh, felt that uh, his time at Leinster had been, you know, tremendous. Even in the short time he'd been there, um, uh, how much of, a, uh, of, a, of an influence has, has he been? He has he ha- has, has he added? Well, he's been brilliant since he came in. You know, really, really good. So, as you mentioned, like he's he's, he's a nice guy to boot, and. Yes. Um, but he works as damn hard in training sessions. I think he like we we probably be running um, as much as you cover in a match in fifty or sixty minutes of training session at last. So, but we're really reaping the benefits from that, especially late on in games. Yeah. So um, yeah, we were delighted to, to have him on board, and um, we're quite lucky that really that we got him. Uh, yourself and and Munster, the rivalry, you know, is is. Is is obvious. I've always been struck, though, uh, the sort of communality there seems to be in the way that the Irish sides, um, provincial sides, seems to play, and in relation to the uh, Irish national setup. How do you know uh, the extent, to, if any, to which the coaches are, you know, getting together and and, and chatting about issues that are, that might be of mutual benefit. I, I think when you know the two the provinces come together in, in Irish camp, we always get on really well. I mean, I have some yeah. really good friends in Munster, Peter Manny. I'd be very good friends with um, Rory Best up in Ulster, and we try we try and uh, we we've had meetings before. We said, look, let's just leave the provincial stuff on the table, and if you've got something in your province that works for you, let's hear it, so we can all work together for the benefit of Team Ireland. Uh-huh. And I think that that's um, that's something that we follow through on and we've derived benefit from that. Well, it's a very mature uh, approach and one indeed which probably the Welsh could uh, could benefit from. I know that they, they have difficulties. Uh, we've, we've talked previously um, to, to many contributors from Ireland about the, uh, the wider success of, of Connacht and so on. Um, the, the loss of Pat Lamb, um, how... Uh, the setups with there and at Ulster, do they have the wherewithal? Do they have the uh, the players to now really give year on year rivalry to 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 Munster and Leinster? Do you say Ulster or Connacht? Uh, well, both actually. Both. Both. Um, yeah, Ulster have a, have a really good squad. They just haven't really clicked this year for whatever reason. We've seen it in fits and starts. Yeah. Um, but like, uh, uh, if we look at the quality of the, the players they have in their squad, you know, Charles Pieta, Rory Best, 
Yeah. Eddie Jackson, Andrew Trimble. They've, they've, and they have a lot of experience running through there. But just need to um, <clears throat> make it make it work for themselves. I mean, like hopefully they won't do it next weekend. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, and, and for Connacht, it's going to be difficult for them losing Pat. Um, he, he's 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 the most successful coach for them in history, and yep. um, his his methods have got some great results for them. And uh, they're 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 their win last year will have brought level among the whole 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 squad, and um, they they have had a mixed season this year, but you know um, sometimes it can be once if you win something sometimes there's a little bit of dip uh, after after winning something because you know you have to achieve that you get the promised land and to try and come back up for it can be uh-huh. difficult at times. But of course teams will be be looking at Connacht since and why were they so so successful last year. And um, putting, probably putting pressure in areas that they weren't experienced pressure in before. Uh, if it comes to the uh, the semis and you get either Scarlets or Ospreys, what are the the challenges? What are the uh, particular things you would look for in uh, as, as threats from either of those teams? Like Scarlets have been playing some great stuff this season. Um, they have a lot, a lot of threat in their back line. Um, Ospreys. It'd be, it'd be similar enough. Uh, I was watching one of the young guys, uh, Keelan Giles, and he's he's absolutely rapid. He's a bit mm-hmm. he's a bit like the uh, he's um probably new Shane Williams in some respects. Um, and of course, you know, Osprey's also have Alan Wynn Jones, who's um one of the best second rows out there. Uh, Dan Bigger, who's broken Leinster hearts before with a few last minute kicks. I mean, I remember. Yeah. A couple of years ago at the Pro 12 final, he slotted once in the touchline to win it. So, um, and 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 they'll be like, Ospreys will have no fear coming to RDS, and and Scarlets are can be dangerous when you're in the pitch. Mm-hmm. So, we 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 know ourselves that we're going to have to our work cut out if we're going to secure uh, get, get into the final. Um, so just looking at the table, Ospreys are on 69, Scarlets are on 72, yep. and uh, and so not much between them and. You know, I'm not sure who they've got this weekend, but uh, those positions could change. So at the moment, we're playing Ospreys. Yeah, Mike, um, it's, it would be tremendous uh, and, and fitting for you to sign out on uh, a winning note. So all, all the best for that, and all the best uh, in retirement. Um, and all I'd say, following on from Damien and I's uh, uh, chat, if you do have any, you know, everyone thinks it's all sailing. You've got jobs and so on. If if there are any problems, uh, there are lots of help and lots of things to. Hopefully, it won't happen to you, yeah. but um, but just make sure you look after yourself, mate. Thanks. Like I know I'm very lucky just and going into what I've found, but there's plenty of other lads who won't mm-hmm. be in the same situation. Yeah. And <clears throat> you you know yourself when you emerge out of the rugby bubble, it can be quite difficult to mm-hmm. decide what to do with your day. Yeah. Okay, Mike. Thank you very much. All right, thanks very much, Brian. Time now to talk to a top international rugby referee. And, of course, that means it's Nigel Owens. Good evening, Nigel. I thought you were going to say another name there, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> There's I'm, only I'm, one I'm Nigel you, Owens. I'm glad to hear you well. <laughs> yeah, sort of. Good anyway, man, it would be man. okay, mate. Um, now then, um, did, you, did you go and find out the answer to our kicking uh, point? Uh, which was, I think, um, at what point? Um, it was four weeks yeah, ago. Until, My until good grief. Until the kick is taken. Yes. So when, when the actual boot hits the ball, yep. that's it. It is irrelevant then if it's in the air going towards the post or going through the post, it's irrelevant. It's when the actual kick is taken. So once the boot hits the ball, right. 
then um, you would be outside protocol if you if you went to check anything. So out that. that does mean if you score a dodgy try or you believe it's a dodgy try, if you then drop a kick at goal very quickly, that would forestall um, the officials in any respect uh, reviewing that play. Yes, but I like to think that the players wouldn't do that. They'd allow it to check. <laughs> no, of course not, Nigel. No, no, no. No one ever think of that. I mean, if I've, I tell you what, if I've thought of it from a long way away, you can be sure someone else has thought of it. Yeah, yeah. A bit nearer. <laughs> no, but you're quite right, and that's why you see Brian sometimes in the game. Um, I've done it myself. When what what I think everybody would agree on um, is we can't referee a test match or a professional game anymore yeah. without the use of technology to get those the big decisions, the one that are humanly impossible to see in a split second race. You need the technology to do that. There's no question about that. Mm-hmm. Um, there are times when it's overused. Yes, of course there is. And there are ways and we need to get better at using the team on the technology. There's, there's no doubt about that. So what you do see sometimes in the game, a referee, the try is given. So he's 99.9% sure a try is given. And there could be a little doubt about something. So what mm-hmm. tends to happen then with some referees, myself included, instead of stopping to check, what you do then, you tell the TMO, have a quick look at that to make sure everything's all right. So you can carry on then coming yep. back ready with a conversion because it, it takes away an extra stoppage if it doesn't need to be. Mm-hmm. And the TMO will come back and say, yeah, no, it's all good. And then you carry on. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the TMO will come back and say, oh, look, yeah, yeah I think it's something we need to look at here. And what happens then, you'll see the referee that usually grabs the ball off the yeah. player to stop him taking and say, oh, hang on, we do need to check something. So it's just something we try to do to, you know, not to stop if we don't have to. Mm-hmm. And um, that's why you see sometimes the player, the referee, stopping the player taking the conversion because you quite rightly said once he takes that conversion, or if he drop quicks it quickly, then you can't go and check then. And I tell you that the way to deal with that, as indeed um, the, for want of a better word, the Italy tactic, uh, you know about uh, rook no rook no off sideline, is simply to say if someone does do that and you're in the process of trying to to have a sensible look at things, well, I'm sorry, that's not within the spirit of the game. Yes, you've you got, you got that as well, I guess, yeah. You could say, no, you know, you could say, no, hang on, you know, you, you took that without me looking. I don't know if you take it properly or not, so wait. You'd have to stop and then you can call him back and you'll have that sort of out because mm-hmm. within the spirit of the game, quite, quite, quite rightly so. Because I think what everybody wants, um, unless you're the, t- the team that scores, obviously, what everybody, or their supporters, what everybody wants is that we get the decisions right. And at yeah. the end of the game, the team that... It may not always be the team that deserves to win because sometimes the team that played best and will end up losing on on losing at the end of the game sometimes. Mm-hmm. So it's not actually the team that sort of you know deserves to win sometimes because other teams will have played better and just lost. But then mm-hmm. you're going to ask the question, why did they lose? But uh, so, but what everybody wants is that the team that should have won at the end of the game wins because you know the decisions, the majority of the decisions that really matter were correct by by the referee and the officials. Um, can you just clarify? Uh, the the law uh, around, it, well, it's uh, contact with the ground, touching the ball down, balling goal and so on. Um, in situations where a player is going for the line, he's tackled and the ball um, goes outside his control, but doesn't actually hit the floor. And he then regains control of it by some miracle. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, either bouncing on his knee or whatever, and then he manages to get that and then put the ball down. Um, what is the situation there? Has he lost possession? Does it depend whether it goes forward from when he first lost possession, then regained it, or or is it or is it 
just a question that he regained it, and then that's okay to, you know, to ground the ball properly. Yeah, this is, this is something actually we've spent quite a bit of time as referees when we got together in our training camps and you know, looking at these type of decisions because mm-hmm. we were um, we were finding it very difficult um, to, to decide on was he control, was he lost control, was he in possession or not. Mm-hmm. So we took a lot of time in, in debating this within the laws of the game. Um, just one thing, first of all, which, which maybe which will, which will help your question as well, really, is if a player loses control of the ball, so I've got the ball, I've lost control of it, and it, before it hits the floor, I kick it on. A lot of people think that's play on because he's kicked it. No, it's a knock-on. Because he's lost control of it out of his hands, right. and he's kicked it before regathering it, it's a knock-on. So this will, will help a little bit in the question. Even if the ball well. doesn't travel towards the opponent's goal line? Yes, if it goes forward, goes down or goes forward, it's deemed to be a knock-on if you don't regain possession but it, so, but it can go backwards it can go backwards yeah. right, okay. if it goes down from your possession and yep. backwards okay. it's fine but if it's going to go down from your possession and, and hit your foot and you kick it on then that would be down and forward and, and, and knock on it needs okay. to drop behind you for example for it to, to be play on yeah. so it, it must travel forward you're right and a player who loses control of the ball so if I'm juggling for the ball a pass comes to me or I try an interception or I stick my hand out and the ball bobbles up in the air as long as I regain possession of that ball before it touches the ground or anybody else, then it's not a knock-on, it's play-on. So when you come towards a trial line, there are two instances here that will have different outcomes in one sense. Is One, if you're not in possession of the ball, so you kick the ball over the goal line, mm-hmm. and then any part of your body has downward pressure on that ball between your waist and your neck. Yep. So that means your hand, your elbow, your, your bicep, your stomach, your chest, up from your waist to your neck, any downward pressure on a ball that is not in your possession, mm-hmm. it will be a try. Or does that, does that include be, um, your back? Touchdown. Sorry? Does that include your back? Yeah, include your, your back yep. as well, yeah. Okay. But if, yes, any part of your body from your waist to, to your neck. Yep. So okay. front side or whatever it is, yes. It's deemed to be downward pressure, so then... Um, the, the try is a is score or is a touchdown. Mm-hmm. Now, if you, were, if you were in, and this is where it comes a bit more grey then, if you like, is if you're in possession of the ball, so you're reaching forward now to ground the ball, the ball is in your possession, mm-hmm. and the ball is either in the air, so it's a bouncing ball, and you get your hand to it to bring it down to the ground, mm-hmm. or you're in your hand placing over the ground, you have to be in control of it. Yes. Not in possession of it. So you could have one hand of the ball bringing it down to score the try, but you may not be in control of it. So let's say some players can grab the ball with one hand. So if they've got their hand clearly around that ball and it's in control in their hand going down and they score a try, then the try is awarded. Mm-hmm. If the ball is sort of, their hand is flat on the ball and they're just bringing it down, but they're not in control of it, that means because you're not in control of it, it's deemed to have been lost forward before you actually make the downward pressure to score the try. So then it's deemed to be a knock-on. If you go back to the France-Ireland, sorry, I think it was the France-Scotland game in Paris this year, there are two great examples of this. One where the try was correctly given, and one where the try was correctly not given. And one of them, the first try to France, I think it was, when the player, you could see his hand around the ball, reaching forward to score the try and in control of it, so the try was correctly awarded. 
And then there's a similar one second half by a French player again, I think it was, where his hand was not over the ball and he was not, not in control of it and was quite rightly the try was not given. And you look at those two instances and they're perfect examples really of what you need to do to score a try mm-hmm. and when the try is not to be awarded. Can I just uh, one one clarification before I let you go, Nigel? In the instance where we we we, we where you said a player um, drops the ball and it goes backwards um, and then he kicks it, that's fine. Um, th- that is is that st- that is still the case. If it goes backwards and then bounces forwards, that's still deemed to have not been uh, lost forward. Is that right? Yeah, and a knock on the lost forward is the ball travels. I suppose down in front of you and onwards towards, yep. your, to, uh, towards the opposition's goal line. So yep. if the ball comes off your hand yep. but goes backwards, mm-hmm. then, then it's, it's, it's play on. If the ball is... If, let's say that I've, I'm on the ground and the ball is behind me. So I'm on the ground facing back towards my own try line now yep. and the ball is loose. And I knock that ball back in towards me. So I'm, I'm not in control of it, like pulling it back towards me. Yep. I knock it back in towards me, in towards my other hand or in towards my stomach. Yep. That would deem to be a knock-on because yes. the ball has actually travelled forward yes. even though that you were in front of the ball. Yes. So that's different to the ball travelling backwards from you rather than you knocking the ball mm-hmm. back into yourself. It's still a knock-on. Yeah, I'm just talking about quite often you see players will, will drop a high ball it will go down and backwards and then bounce quite savagely forwards and everyone screams... But that's that should that be play on if it goes That it's been knocked on, but if it hasn't. Okay. Yeah. Right, Brian, before you go, um, yep. I'm speaking in Sandback Rugby Club on um, Wednesday night and they've asked me to pick a Lions team. I'm stuck with a oh, hooker. They've given me the right. option of Best or Wins or George. Uh, I think, I think um, on form, Ken Owens, probably. Okay. Um, I'd be happy with that. Yeah, I, I think you'd be happy with that. Yep. Lovely, thank you. All the best. Take care. Nice Cheers and good again. to hear you better. Cheers, Ta-da. thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. In association with QBE Business Insurance, principal partner of the British and Irish Lions, supporting the team behind the team. You're listening to Brian Moore's Full Contact in association with Telegraph and QBE Business Insurance. Time now to change codes to go to speak to Craig Murdoch, the former Wigan Hull FC Salford and Hull KR scrum off and now commentator about uh, the weekend's and indeed last week's Super League action. Good evening, Craig. Yeah, good evening, Brian. Now, um, can we start? Um, it might be a sore point depending on um, where the love of your life was in terms of games, but um, Castleford 54, Wigan 4. Yeah, I know that Wigan had a few injuries, and, and I, I, but that that doesn't account for fifty, a fifty-point no, drubbing, does it? No, it doesn't. And you can you can certainly tell by Sean Wayne's after-match press press conference that he wasn't happy with with the performance from Wigan. And yes, he had injuries, but if you look at the starting pack, Brian, it yep. was numbers eight to thirteen, which is at the end of the day that's their first choice pack when yes. they start the season. So you know they're really disappointing. You know McLaurin back, they had Flower back. You know, so they had a, a really big pack. And, you know, Castleford were on the back of two defeats as well. So they haven't been, although they, they are the standout team of the season, they've had a little blip over the last couple of weeks. But they certainly put that blip to bed last night and put Wigan to the sword. The thing as well with Wigan, I mean, one of the Wigan's big strengths, uh, no matter who they uh, seem to, you know, have in their, in their team, who they seem to bring from the bench, is generally 
their defensive organisation and yet nine tries. Um, it would take some scoring, actually. Uh, and I would have thought that that must be one of the most disappointing aspects of it. Well, yes, yeah, Sean Wayne Price is, you know, his Wigan signs on, on being able to defend. You know, they, they throw a lot at you in attack, but they're really, really difficult to beat. And, you know, Wigan, as you said, injuries, but they're the team that generally deals best with injuries because they've got so many good youngsters coming through the ranks. But, you know, that performance last night, and as you said, I, I heard a few reports of it that, you know, in the second half, I've seen the tries this morning, the second half, you know, Wigan almost threw the towel in and, and that's, that's not something that Sean Wayne can handle. You know, he can obviously live with Wigan if they get beat. Yes, he's a grumpy old bear when they get beat. But for them not to, to come out in that second half and not be competitive... Well, it's not, it's, not, it's not something that any Wigan fan I know um, will ever, ever accept. No, no. And rightly so, you know, of any team, you can, you can handle being defeated if the team's yep. better. But, but not to throw the towel in. There's a few questions yesterday in the second half you know, that Wigan did that. And, you know, I'm sure Sean Wayne will be asking some, you know, real questions at the training camps this week. And I imagine Wigan forwards and, and are in for a, a tough one week in training this one coming. Yeah. Um, let's move to, um, well, they've been curiously, uh, curiously low on form, but produced a, you know, a shock away victory. Huddersfield uh, Giants, uh, Leeds Rhinos. I, was, I watched the game and I tell you what, it's, it, it just showed to me how important... Um, uh, Bruffies to him. Yeah, with, you know, without a doubt, Brian. I think he hit the nail on the head. You know, he's, you know, he's he's had the captaincy taken off him over the last, you know, couple of seasons. He was back captain of the side on Thursday. They were down to, you know, only realistically one fit halfback. They played a youngster who's a centre in the other halfback role, so he had all the pressure on his shoulders. And we see with Danny Bruff when Danny Bruff's on his game like he was on Thursday night. He's still got the best kicking game in the competition and he led those youngsters around on Thursday. What about that What about that one where he kicked it off the outside of his boot looking the other way? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it was a banana kick, which was completely meant. Um, yeah, and it, without it, a doubt. And he did, it, he did it twice, Brian, didn't he? You yeah. Know, and it, it, it's no fluke that, you know, he, he certainly meant everybody in the ground thought he was kicking to the right hand, yes. to the right hand side. He kicked it back on itself to the left and confused everybody. But, you know, Danny's, you know, he's, he's a very, very talented player and to be able to even try something like that in training you've got to have talent and you know he's certainly got it in abundance but it shows the competition this year Brian that whether you're at the top of the competition or at the bottom mm. if you don't play well you're going to lose it and that's what Super League probably over the last few years hasn't had mm. you know you could look at you could look at the games and say well that's an easy win for Leeds or that's an easy win for Wigan you know this year we're seeing last week you know St Helens got beat by Widnes and this is what the competition needs because if we are, you know, look at the international program at the end of the year, we need to have these competitive games on a regular basis every week mm -hmm. where the audience don't know who's going to win the game. Well, um, whole, uh, one of your old sides, we can play for both. Yep. Um, four wins in a row, um, back to the top. Um, and Warrington actually coming unstuck. I mean, the, good for Warrington that they have at least arrested the difficult start they had to the season but they were they were well second best in this one yeah they did and I thought Hull played very very well on Friday night you know there was some big performances Mane Fanua you know was, was an absolute beast there was a lot of power wasn't there yeah there are you know Hull are very very strong on the front foot you know they, they played really well Scott Taylor led from the front you know and then jumps on a plane the next day to fly to Australia you know he's He's, he's pivotal to what Hull are about this year. And, you know, and I think, obviously, Hull this year have added Albert Kelly, which has added another dimension to their game. We all know the kicking talents 
of Mark Sneed off ball, kicking out of hand and, you know, from the team mm-hmm. is fantastic. But, you know, Hull has struggled over the last couple of seasons when that kicking game didn't work. Did they have a plan B? Well, in Albert Kelly this year, they've certainly found an equal plan A because he's playing very, very well. And 11 tries from 10 performances from Albert Kelly shows how well he's playing. Uh, well, let's let's go on to this point. Um, we were talking about the uh, we were talking about who should and shouldn't play um, for international sides, and um, what about? I mean, I can't remember for a long time. Uh, you know, a couple of Aussies named. Yeah, and uh, how, no, sure. I, how big is this? Because um, in, in 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 the court, I played principally. I, I can't admit that I played rugby league because otherwise I would have been banned, but I did. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's well known, no one cares. But this is a, quite a big thing, isn't it? Yeah, and you know, and I'm sure deep down, Brian, you're a passionate Englishman like I am. And, then, you know, in an ideal world, you want a team of, of born and bred English players that have come through the ranks yep. dreaming of playing for England. Now, the rules state through whatever backdoor, and that's what I think it is, a backdoor way of playing for a country. You know, that, that players are picked. and You know, we see it a lot in rugby union where yep. players haven't born in that country. The rules are the rules. So, you know, you can't blame the coaches for picking what mm-hmm. they believe is their best 15. But, you know, in rugby league, you know, Wayne Bennett, who's, you know, arguably the greatest coach rugby league has ever had, who's now in charge of the England national side, he believes that he's picking these two players because they're better but than... Are they, are these, are, yeah. But are these... Yeah, yeah, I know. But, but are they the best two that he could have? I'm that, not sure that, they that's are. That's what I was coming on to, Brian. I don't think they are. You know, he named the squad last week and then he's come out with an interview today over in Australia this morning that says he's picked certainly McQueen because he believes that England are short in back row talent. Now, Ooh. for me, Liam Farrell at Wigan is, is a better player. There's even a case, Brian, you know, this is a friendly game. I believe that we could have got some more mileage out of taking a youngster yep. who is going to come through in the next ranks. He could have got so much more out of the game, being in and around the elite of our game. Yes, he wouldn't have played in the game, but he'd have learned so much and he would have done his his, his stock so much more. And it, you know, it would have added to the development of his game that he could have been in, in maybe four years' time, you know, the star of the show. But you know, Wayne Bennett's decided to to choose. I was going to say. I was going to say McQueen is not. I mean, he's a. He's a. I'm, I, this is not the right phrase. I was going to use the phrase journeyman, that, and that's not fair. But he isn't exactly. Um, you know, he's not a household name, Brian, is he? No, that's what you're trying to say. Yeah, you know, and you know, I think, I suppose, tongue in cheek, if if we were going to bring in Jonathan Thurston or Billy Slater, yes. I think I don't think there'd be any arguments from us in the media saying, well. <laughs> We, we've bent the rules a little bit, but we'll take it because they're so good. Yeah. You know, when we're bringing somebody in who we, we believe isn't any better than what we've got ourselves, mm-hmm. that's what I don't see the point of. Yeah. You know, as, if he was a world-class player, then we'd say, well, you know, we don't really agree with it, but because he's so good, we'll, we'll just sit here and, and say nothing. You know, don't get me wrong, McQueen's a good player, but in my opinion, is he better than a Liam Farrell? No, he's not, and I believe Liam mm-hmm. Farrell... You know, he's a passionate Englishman and he should be picked every day of the week, in my opinion. Well, uh, we'll have to leave it there. I totally agree with you. It's good to have a consensus on a national matter, at least. Um, the uh, season progresses and I suspect that there are a lot of twists uh, to come before we even get near um, the, the playoffs. So please uh, come back and talk to us uh, later on. Anytime, Brian. Thank you. Cheers, mate. Thanks very much. Oh, just very quickly, Nigel Owens has double-checked the law. 
and a player cannot score a try if they ground their ball with a ball with their back. So uh, if you're thinking of trying to do that, don't, because it won't work. Uh, if Nigel Owens is the referee, or anyone who indeed knows what they're talking about. Someone who does know what they're talking about and knows uh, well the South African aspect, at least, of the Super Rugby competition down under, which is the equivalent, is a provincial equivalent of our club competition, is the stepping stone between uh, club or, or, or provincial rugby and international rugby, is Brendan Atwell, and I, I think we can speak to him now. Brendan, uh, good evening. Brendan, are you there? I am here, can you hear me? Uh, yes, I can hear you, good man. Uh, let's have a look. Now then, the South African Conference, which is is uh, is criticised uh, widely, um, sometimes with justification, sometimes not, produced some interesting results. I didn't realise that the, I mean, the Sunwolves went down again, they went down 27-20 to the Chiefs, but I was told that they um, are, they've not uh, shipped any points in the last 20 to a... Um, to um, to an Antipodean side is that right? Is that right? I'm not too sure about that, Brian. Because uh, <laughs> I, I was thinking that's that. remarkable if it is. But it anyway, is, it, it, it is very remarkable if it is. Yes. <laughs> and what about the Kings? Um, an important win for them. Very important. Um, you know they've they've won two on the trot now. Although it must be said that they they last one a good one as it was was against the uh, the Rebels who. Yeah. Um, Almost pulled one over the Sharks last week, but then exactly. again, the Sharks were poor. Was that their but, record? Yeah, uh, was that a record win for them as well? 44-3? Um, uh, yes, it is a record win, but I think at the moment for the Kings, any any win for them is a record at the moment. <laughs> right. you know, it's, it's for their survival. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, look, I mean, we know that they have, uh, we know there are difficulties. Uh, the Force 15, Lions 24. Um, the Force actually, I watched the game and I, I thought at times they they looked uh, they looked very competitive, but the, the and, and 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 limited to a lot to a certain extent. The Lions, who do have you know an ability to play an all all round game, but just a bit more just had a bit more quality in the end. Yeah, no, the look. I mean, the Lions are the form team from a South African perspective. Yes. Um, and I I was a little bit surprised that they they weren't able to to pull over a bigger win over the Force. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, we know that the Australian conference is probably the weakest out of all three countries. Um, but, you know, I think the Lions at the moment, they're on tour, they're facing all the Australasian sides. And I think for them, um, any win on tour is a very good win. So, mm -hmm. you know, if they can come back with, with uh, a full bag of points from the Australasian tour, um, I think that's all three boxes that uh, Jan Ackerman can tick. Yeah, um, the, sh the Sharks who... Uh... Lying in uh, third, that would uh, it wasn't a, a big win, but uh, against the Jaguars, uh, is there any sign that the Jaguars are, go are going to? I suppose a total of twenty points isn't isn't that bad. But when I look at what's available to them, I, I for some reason I expect them to to be to be better than than their their record suggests. No, I, I completely agree with you. I mean, you know, we we've, we've spoken before where we've said that. In the beginning of the season, the Jaguares, let's just yes. call them Jaguars, just okay, so that we can right. understand each other. Yeah, all right. <laughs> the, the, the Jaguars, um, you know, they're, they're full of quality international players. Yeah. And their biggest, their biggest downfall has been their discipline at the start of the season. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but, you know, with, with the type of quality that they've got, you'd expect them to be winning a lot more than, than what they are currently mm-hmm. doing. Um, you know, they've, they've, they've won four out of nine matches this season. Um, but also to go home against the Sharks, to go down against the Sharks at home was a bit of a, a really disappointing loss for them. Um, but, yeah, you know, they, they should do better with the, with the class of players that they do have. Mm-hmm. The, the Stormers... Um I was I was surprised. Look, I know they've they've it's difficult travelling, uh, especially to the Highlanders. But um, they have to show more fortitude if you know on the road if they if they're going to really make an impression to me. Yeah, look, I mean, you know, they've lost three on the trot. They yep. lost to the Lions before they went on tour, and then they were they they, they were crucified by both the the, the Crusaders um, and and the Highlanders um, this past weekend. And mm-hmm. you cannot you cannot shift. 30 points in the first half yeah. and still expect to try and win a game. Yeah. You know, their, their defense in the first 40 has been, has been atrocious on tour. Whether it's just a mental thing that the, the Stormers are struggling with at the moment after they'd lost to the Lions, because, I mean, the Lions really bullied them in that, in, in that match. Um, so I don't know whether it's just a def- defense confidence thing. I'm not sure. But, yeah, the, the <laughs> I don't know what's gone wrong with the Stormers in the last three weeks. Well, it, it, I mean, it, it seems to me as though... They're playing just unreconstructed and playing, trying to play at pace, but without any real control. I, I, I and and you you can't make as many unforced errors, especially when they result in turnovers. You know, which, yeah, which look, constantly stops your momentum. You know, Brian, if you if you look at the match against the the Chiefs in at Newlands in Cape Town, yeah, um, it 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 was probably one of the best matches of super rugby in, in quite a long time. It was, it was, it was fast-paced. It was a high temper from both sides. And with the Stormers coming up on top, a lot of the local um, journalists and public alike were going, you know, is this a turning point for the Stormers in which they can go toe-to-toe with their New Zealand counterparts? Um, and that was the feeling. But uh, after they were bullied by the Lions, we thought, okay, maybe it was just a once-off lapse. Um, but we've seen now against the Crusaders and the, the Highlanders that... Um, the Stormers do have a long way to go. Yeah, I mean, we, we you mentioned earlier that the 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 Lions indeed have the best record. They are they the are they really just the the one side who you you have serious hope you can make a, a, a big impression this year when it no, comes look, down I mean, they, to it. Yeah, look, that Johan Ackerman and and his coaching staff proved it last year. They had the difficult run in playing the New Zealand sides last year, and they and they made the final. Yeah, the. The, now that they've got, let's put it in inverted commas, that they've got the easier road playing the, the Australian sides this mm-hmm. year um, makes, the, makes the, the, the path to a final a lot easier for them. Um, they've, they've got a lot of continuity in their playing structure. Um, it, uh, uh, Ackerman has put in a lot of good um, methodology with regards to the way his players play. Yes. How, and, and, you know, that's going to be a big loss when Ackerman moves to, to your side of the world um, at the end of the season. Mm-hmm. But the Lions really do have a very good structured way of playing. Mm-hmm. They, 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 they can play expansively. But when it comes down to it, they can tighten things up and grind a team down, which which is what you which you expect from a top yep. side. Well, are you, well, we're talking about the Australian challenge and the relative weakness or otherwise. And um, I watched the it was quite enjoyable actually the Reds and the Waratahs, not least because it's a traditional rivalry. But I I was struck in that game by uh, by Hooper, 
who remains for me, you know, a tremendous player to watch. A cheeky, you know, sort of player, but hugely effective. Um, and it's a pity for, the, I think, for the Australian national team. They can't sort of clone him and make, uh, you know, make him and possibly uh, a young, a few younger George Smiths, uh, in which case he might be more competitive internationally. Yeah, look, every country goes through their, their, their troughs and peaks in terms of player turnout. Yes. Um, except for New Zealand, who, who seem to turn them out year on year on year. Um, I think they've got a cloning machine somewhere in the back there in Auckland. But um, <laughs> the, the, the thing with the, the South Africans, the Australians, even the English, I mean, you guys went through it as well. Yeah. You guys, you know, we, we tend to turn out a, a good crop of players who, who come together, play together, they lift the team up, a team goes through, and then those players retire, they mm-hmm. go on. Whether it's a succession planning or whether it is just a... Uh, a, a phase of events that go through that a, a team just kind of loses their way and mm-hmm. then has to go, oh, well, hold on, we need to rebuild, and, and, and so they do that. Um, I think barring the New Zealanders, I think every other team does go through that. Yes. And Australia are in that mode at the moment. No, I think, uh, I, I think you're right. And I think you know, South Africa, um, for different reasons, are, are, are in that, uh, made worse by the fact that there are so many South Africans playing a... Uh, Playing abroad, I know that the the measures they're looking to bring in uh, might give them some measure of loyalty, at least to start with. But they are so low the number of caps that they set it at that you're 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 potentially only getting maybe couple of two couple of seasons out of out of young Springboks, which I think is a chance missed. I I, I don't I, I I if you're going to make any difference, I think you've probably ask, got to because of the World Cup cycle, you've probably got to have a, a four year commitment. I think. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree with you um, with regards to that. I mean, Jake White made the comment not so long ago that a a European-based Springbok side would beat the current Springbok side of Alistair Katia, which I, I have no doubt that I'm that's I'm sure possible. that's right, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the, 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 the fact that, you know, the, the euro and the pound is a lot stronger than the local currency, uh, guys are, it's a professional era, they're looking to... to yeah make as much money as they can in, in a short space of time. So you, you can't blame a player for wanting to go to greener pastures from a financial perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, one from a South African perspective also has to take into account the political climate when it comes to, to the sporting national teams. Yes. However, the administration has to turn around and go, you know what, this is a professional sport. Our players will go and play abroad for the money, as they do in football. And we need to choose our best 15 players, whether they are based locally or whether mm-hmm. they are based internationally. And mm-hmm. that is just my personal opinion, the way a professional sport should be run. Well, the, the, the problem is if you don't and your international record dips to a certain point, that has knock-on effects when you're talking about the, uh, the desire of kids to want to take up the challenge you know, and to have the, have the not just uh, succession planning at international level, but the throughput of players so you can get into that position. I agree with you. I think I just fell on my double-edged sword there with that, with that comment. But, yeah. you know, it remains the fact. It's, it's, uh, success breeds success. Um, and if your national team is doing well, you've got local players, kids who, who do want to come up and they yeah. do want to play for the national side. And, you know, if, if those players inspire the youngsters, great stuff. I also look at it and I go, if those players are playing locally or whether they're playing internationally, it is a fine balance of, of, of how much you allow them to play overseas. Yeah. 
Um, you've also got to look at the longevity of those players. You can't force them to come home and say, well, yeah, you need to play at home in order to make... Look, I mean, I know New Zealand had that um, uh, with, with their national players. Um, and, you know, it, it's a fine balance that the administrators need to take. I, yeah. I think from a South African perspective, uh, they haven't gone about it in the right manner. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think there is a bit more negotiating that needs to happen with players, you know, Agreed. take their input into it and see what where they feel the balance is right. Mm-hmm. Well, Brendan, um, I, I want to, time to finish now, but I, I want to take the task for next time we speak to you, and that is right. to explain in a very short, concise, comprehensible way to uh, listeners who, do, who are not afraid with the playoff system in Super Rugby, <laughs> just exactly how it works. So uh, that's, I know that's not easy, but that's what I want you to do next time you come on. Is that all right? Is that fair? That's all right. That's like opening Pandora's box. Yeah, okay. We'll give it a go. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much, Brendan. Cheers. Thanks, Brian. Cheers. Well, that's the end uh, of this week's uh, Full Contact. You have been listening to Brian Moore's Full Contact in association with The Telegraph and QBE Business Insurance. Thank you to them. My many thanks to all the guests this week and, as usual, to my producer, Abby Patterson. Remember, you can get in contact with us throughout the week via the hashtag FullContact. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and please leave us a review. Good night. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.